All right, hey everyone, welcome back to Cart Overflow. I'm your host today, Gen Furukawa, and today we have Yoni Kosminski. Yoni, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, mate. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. So you're the CEO of Escala and Multiply Me. We can get into those in a little bit, but first I want to start with your background. And I, I, I love these stories of like, you know, seeing success in a compressed time frame. So what I saw about you is that you launched, grew, sold a business from two to five million in 12 months. What are the details there? Can you share that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll tell you, that might feel like a short time, but the 10 years prior when I was working in creative advertising, digital marketing, working, you know, with large scale clients like Sony and MasterCard, that was sort of the breeding ground or the opportunity that existed to sort of enable me to scale grow and and help sell that business. So when we talk about what happened there in the short time, so I had, I was running an agency. It was going great. I just hated it. I hated my life. I just wasn't in a position. I, I realized I'm not a solopreneur. I love to have sort of good minds around me. And also I was always given sort of one part of the marketing mix, like by Facebook media, Google AdWords, website, UX, email marketing, whatever it was, I never got to see the full piece of the pie. And so it limited my ability to have impact. So in my head, I thought if I could find a company or people that had the strengths that I was lacking, so that's the product development and a product to sell and how to actually handle logistics and fulfill those orders, then I was golden. So I went on a journey. I met a couple of guys, had an Amazon business. They were doing 2 million and we worked through a negotiation. I became an equity owner in that business. And what I saw for me was like shocking. I was like, firstly, how is this a $2 million business with you know, a couple of guys running around like headless chooks, not really knowing what they, they were doing. So for me, the starting point was really understanding and deeply understanding sort of what it is to work in an Amazon business. This is my first time sort of seeing it. So I got to know their operation. I understood sort of their capabilities and their capacities and what was what was possible. And from that, I worked backwards and I said, right, how do we actually build this into a system and infrastructure that actually stops the whole notion of just having sort of, because I can do this, I will do this and puts professionals in place. So that was when we built a system. So I pretty much created an agency built out of the Philippines to run this operation. So we did everything from capacity planning to, you know, load management. We brought in a dedicated graphic designer. We had five customer support agents. They worked effectively almost around the clock, you know, in shift work between the five of them, you know, a six hour shift here, a six hour shift there, you know, just red hot on everything that needed to be delivered. And as a result, it enabled the business not to focus on the one product that was, you know, doing a million, a million and a half. It, it enabled us to actually focus on the entire sort of skew count of, we had about 35 products and as a result, sort of everything incrementally improved. But when you make those small changes, you, you obviously yield a pretty big result when you're not doing absolutely everything in the business. And I think that that's very typical for businesses in the Amazon space as well. They get to about that million and a half, two million mark, and they get stuck. And it's for reasons like that. And you know, I we had a bit of a back and forth. So I'm sure this will come up as we go through this conversation. But that was really the, you know, there wasn't this like, holy grail secret secret sauce it was we built a system we brought in professionals and we effectively turned this into a well-oiled machine awesome and then for context because things do move very quickly on amazon we're just talking about that what year was it and then what 
what were you selling or what, what niche category, subcategory were you in? Yeah. So we were in uh, home and garden. We were selling grow your own sort of bonsai trees, herb gardens, products in that, in that capacity. And what was the other question? When was this? When was this? This was 2000, 2019, uh, 2018. Okay. So yeah, <clears throat> I mean, Amazon has continued to grow, but that, that is kind of like as I remember, because I, I did spend a lot of time in the Amazon space, things were things were going. So you, you kind of like optimize the listing. It sounds like it was a unified brand. So there was some like cross-selling or at least you were able to get economies of scale on the back end a little bit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I can, I mean, I can dig into to a little bit more detail here for sure. So, I, I mean, you had one guy who was running the inventory management, you know, handling the relationships with China and then also doing PPC management and then also trying to put their hands on graphic design, thinking that they were sort of a graphic design genius, where in reality it was all garbage. It was, it was mediocre at best. And so, you know, coming in with my background, I immediately took on as a first standpoint I created the marketing initiative. So we standardized the process. How do we actually approach strategically listing optimization? So we mm. created the psychology around the benefits of each, for example, each image. What, what, does, what does the designer need to look for when we, when we manufacture a product? What are the key attributes that are actually going to benefit or what are the benefits related to how the perceived value might look so we'll build sort of the cadences around each of the seven images you know how does that work we you know simple things i love to do like the the, the packaging we effectively redesigned all the packaging and on our main image we would put the package and on the package would incorporate all the pieces that come inside of it now you know finding intelligent ways to actually correctly articulate what the customer was actually purchasing, you know, was fundamental and just systemizing all of it. Like there were, there was process and methods, but nothing was followed. So, you know, brought in a traffic manager or a project manager and their entire responsibility was to make sure that things were actually delivered. So before it was like, you know, putting out spot fire after spot fire after spot fire, the flag goes up, customer support's not answered. Like we sort of strategically attacked like the lowest hanging fruit and the things that were most timely and yielded the least impact or the least, you know, move the needle the least. And so it was first customer support. The founders were working heavily in responding to customer support. And for me, build canned content. You know, most of the questions people are going to ask are going to be the same things over and over again, you know, either fix the product or fix the way in which you communicate to them or build a process or a system where it's not a founder who's trying to answer questions. That's not moving the net. It's critical. You've got to respond, but that's not new product development. You know, that's where you're going to move the needle and actually start to have larger sales or so being strategic about your brand positioning. And, you know, we were talking before we hit record, but how do you start to grow laterally? You know, we, we did a deal into Hobby Lobby, for example, and that became something that was highly valuable to the business as well. So we started to expand out and increase our reach and the opportunity to sell, you know, outside of Amazon too. Yeah. <clears throat> It reminds me of uh, when you're talking about like kind of getting out of the weeds for the founders. Tim Ferriss has a, he, he had a similar scenario and, and I imagine like that might resonate with you just because like offshore talent and, and re global arbitrage kind of like resonates a lot with the four hour work week. But his rule of thumb was like, if the impact is going to be less than X number of dollars, I forget exactly what it was, 
then just make your own decision. And if you empower the people who are doing it, not only does it make give them a, a sense of ownership into their role and, and maybe make them feel more engaged, but it offloads a lot of the, the stress of like all these little things, like even just answering emails will just innately increase the stress that you're feeling. So I can see the value of setting the operations and having people do it. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have put it better myself. And, you know, Tim Ferriss is the man who hasn't yeah. read the four hour work week and tools of Titans and just about everything he does is, is great. I was actually chatting to the publisher or the ghostwriter, I forget, of the four hour work week. It was pretty cool to hear what it was like working with Tim Ferriss. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, I didn't even know it was ghostwritten. He might have just blown up his spot. Well, maybe not. Say, maybe I'm getting it wrong here. Maybe not. Maybe what other things do you have in publishing? Like proofreader, maybe. Oh, editor, maybe. Yeah. Editor. Yeah, editor. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Tim is listening. So I can actually see the, the bridge now. You're going from running this, this operation. You're kind of like moving things off so that you have a team around it to support. And then this kind of like merges into your own companies that you're running now as CEO, founder, Escala, and Multiply Me. So I'm just going to take a stab at it. They're basically kind of like helping connect the bridge, connect the gap between e-commerce brands and offshore talent. And by offshore, I generally mean professionals in the Philippines. For sure. Yeah. So the Multiply Me came first and, you know, I, I would say... Until recently, until I did a course called Exit DNA with a guy by the name of Mac Lackey, who would be amazing for you to sit down with. I mean, I just love every moment I get with him, but I'd just been building things because I saw gaps in the market and I saw opportunity to create something that's going to help support people. But the way I'm starting to look at the world now is all about how do I create intrinsic value and what is the perception of the business from a potential acquirer or buyer of the business like you know before i'm trying to build everything and now it's how do i focus in and understand working backward like what is the value? And it's not even whether you want to sell the business or or you want to keep running it it's like what what are we uniquely the best at and how do we add that value intrinsically <clears throat> to everything that we do so i saw the opportunity i effectively built this as a proving ground inside of the the amazon business like i said i helped scale and immediately went to work on multiply me and just realized that after going down probably 30 plus sales funnels, no one had been focused on the e-commerce space. And what was more apparent was that no one had really tackled the, the things that I feel most particularly like very entrepreneurial founders in the space are willing to deal with or have experience. And that's things like proper vetting of talent, you know, how do you actually interview correctly? Things like performance management and onboarding. How do you set the expectations? Because it's not just about, especially in today's day and age, when the demand for talent and the supply are so far ill aligned, the demand for e-commerce talent is up, you know, a billion percent. I don't know what it would actually be, but it's, it's astronomical. And there is just a massive skill gap when it comes to people who can actually fill those roles. So being really clear on that onboarding and what they're going to work into. Like that's not the mm -hmm. typical founder who's very excited about new ideas and new products. And I classify myself as that type of founder too. I'm not having a, a stab at people who think this way. I am exact. I'm trying to build solutions for people like me. And I realize that that's usually a pretty big gap is that your high level visionary thinker trying to sort of push forward without putting down the roots and the fundamentals that are actually going to see success in your business. So that's why right. we created 
that's why we created multiply me. And I think, yeah, you're, you're picking up what I'm putting down here. The next stage was like, well, we can even take this further and we can build a, uh, a business that actually helps build out the SOPs, training videos, documentation, and actually builds these businesses for scale. Because going back to uh, the point before where you get to sort of a million and a half, $2 million, you, you quickly realize that you can't, you can't achieve everything that you could before. The operation has grown to a point, you know, depending on the level of complexity, you know, maybe you've got a very simple product. There's not a high barrier to entry. There's not a whole lot of different manufacturing components and, you know, the, the, you know, the inventory run, everything's quite simple, but for things that become a little bit more complex, you're just never going to get to everything. When you get to that two, three, four, five, ten. $50 million, you need to build a team. And the only way you can do that effectively is to build out the systems and the process and the people and the technology you need to, to actually run that effectively and not have one single linchpin driving the business. So that was sort of the, the evolution into Escala. Cool. <clears throat> Thanks for sharing that. So now maybe we can like get a little more in the weeds tactical in terms of where people go and, and, and have mistakes. And I can share my, my own experience with an, a VA in the Philippines, as an example, because I, I, I don't think I did it well. I can definitely see the potential of it, but here's where I made a mistake. So I, I found somebody on onlinejobs.ph, which I think is a great place. It's, it's kind of like a marketplace uh, specifically for probably the same talent that you're well-connected with. And I found somebody for $4 an hour. And and I think you know in, in the US where I'm at, that's below minimum wage. You're like, what what are you getting for $4 an hour? But then that's exactly your point that you're addressing with Multiply Me and Escala is that's the global arbitrage, right? Like $4 is actually like, I think a good wage in the Philippines. So I had somebody, granted time difference might be 12 hours. So I just don't think that I had the SOPs, the standard operating procedures in place. So there wasn't a lot of, of structure to work with. And I think that's where I was expecting a little more like, hey, here's a problem go run with it. And this is for like kind of lead gen or like, let's find some people who fit this criteria, how to get in touch with them. And then like go from there. And they, they executed very well. I just don't think I, I like, it, it requires a little bit of management, a little bit of time upfront. And, and I just didn't do it. And then after a while, I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm just not seeing value in it. So I'm just going to stop until maybe I get my ducks in a row and then I can like have a better experience and they can have a better experience. But anyway, what what would you do? Why why was I just dropping the ball with this? Yeah, yeah. Well, so online jobs, I like to call it the gateway drug to the Philippines. You know, it's a great it's a great resource to find talent that's going to be sort of at that VA level where they'll be, you know, probably a decent generalist. They'll have sort of baseline experience, and they're going to be the ones that typically you need to train and you need to educate and you need to build very you know, acute and particular systems, I'd say like, you know, I can't talk for you specifically where you went wrong, but I would say for a lot of people, even going back to your point in Tim Ferriss's book is that people tend to forget that like, it's a real human at the other end of that computer screen. And I think that now we've all lived through a pandemic and everyone's sitting and working remotely. They're starting to sort of understand what that means, but giving accountability and responsibility, career opportunity, a roadmap, a path, you know, a level mm. of appreciation and actually motivating them to drive forward and, and have that sort of power in their role. I think there's a lot to that. So, you know, if you give anyone, you know, a standard number, like pull this report, you know, 
don't even analyze it, format it in this way. Like how long is anyone going to stay motivated for realistically? So if you sort of, and one of the things, and there's an amazing book called Who the A Method for Hiring, but it talks about defining the outcome. So what does success look like in this role as opposed to just putting down a job description and what's delivered? So I'd say like from a, from a sort of, from a standpoint where you're looking at, at, at a person's sort of interest, engagement into what they are achieving day to day, building the roadmap to what success looks like and giving them that power to say, right, like success for me is, you know, not having, you know, not ha- having 100% in stock inventory. However, you get to that solution, it's all, it's all you, assuming they've got experience in it, but that's, that's your KPI. That's what you need to deliver on, on notifying me, like rather than just saying, like, go into Seller Central, pull the inventory report, look until it's at 300. When it's at 300, it means reorder, you know, it, it empower them, I would say, Got is, is going to be one of the things. And also have a very onboarding and induction process, like who who they need to know in the business, what's expected of them, what's the daily routine, when do we check in, what are the work hours, like create that system and that um, process so that it feels like a regular work environment. And no one wants to have all this ad hoc shit thrown at them, you know, at the last minute. So understanding that cadence as well, I think sets you up for success and avoids a whole lot of confusion that relates to, I mean, working in any teams, but definitely in, in remote teams. And when you're talking about, you know, time zones and cultures, those are things that really, I would say, help, you know, create structure. Yeah. I think that's, the exact environment that I would want to work in, in terms of here's, here's the end goal. You can figure out whatever path works for you, but just get there. And then open lines of communication, I think is, is super important, especially when, yeah, there might be a slight language barrier, but I, I think in the Philippines, everybody speaks fluent English, but language barrier also in the sense that everything is often written, unless it's like kind of on the fringe of a day, uh, then you might jump on a call. But I would assume a lot of it is like, just emails and, and, and uh, texts going back and forth. I mean, for us, like we've got nearly 150 people on payroll today and we have Zoom, regular Zoom meetings. We are, you know, we run on EOS. So, you know, all of our senior management are in an L10 meeting every Wednesday, a level 10 meeting. I don't know. I, I can break down traction <laughs> all that? day. I, are you familiar with traction? Entrepreneur operating system the entrepreneurial yeah, operating system so so it's pretty much just a framework on how to run businesses better so you know they look at things like setting up your rocks which is your 90-day rolling goals you know everyone in the company will have between five to seven or three to seven depending on your level of seniority and what's expected you're all working towards sort of a 12-month goal and where the business is heading and every single week you have a meeting called an l10 meeting a level 10 meeting where the focus is on the IDS section, the identify, discuss, solve any issues that are happening inside of the business that week. So it creates this regular reporting cadence where you have a true pulse of the business. Everyone presents like inside of their function, what's happening. And, you know, you're never really too far away from what is happening in the day to day. And you look to solve problems week on week. So, I mean, for us, like we just run it like, like any regular business. And I think, you know, that's probably one of the key messages that I uh, would preach is that, you know, when I'm looking to hire talent in the Philippines, I'm hiring professionals, not generalists, and I'm hiring 
people that are smarter than I am. So like our consulting team, all of them are ex Ernst and Young, Accenture, BCG, or, you know, Deloitte. And the reality is like, they are absolute geniuses who can do some serious stuff. Like one of the things that gets lost in translation when we talk about, you know, online jobs and sort of the VA mentality. And it's like us as like the small to medium business entrepreneurs, we're always last. We're always last to find out what big, cor- big corporates already figured this out. And so Accenture, for example, have more than 70,000 people deployed in the Philippines, just to give you sort of a, you know, a very small insight into how big this space is. Like we're a partner of UP, the University of the Philippines. And when I'm sitting there on career day presenting Multiply Me in a Scala, come and work in our internship and grad program. And this is mostly for internal talent. Like we really believe in the future of the talent there and want to want to help grow it. It's very rare that you're going to find an Amazon or e-commerce seller that's like, cool, I'll take a fresh grad. But for us, you know, we'll take them because they're actually extremely capable. You know, it's us presenting and then you've got L'Oreal next. And then you've got, you know, you've got Lazada and Shopee. And then you've got um, Black and Decker. And then you like, you've got the biggest brands in PwC. <laughs> you've got Accenture there. Like all the biggest brands in the world are already sort of poaching the youngest and brightest talent out of the Philippines and growing, you know, these massive conglomerates. And so you're not even getting access to that. Like that's, that's, you know, that's a, that's a freebie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm sold for sure. But, but what is the kind of, if we're talking tranches of salary, like what, what would an expectation be? So in the States, we're talking like specialists, uh, you know, a digital marketing specialist in it, it, it ranges of course, based on seniority and location, but I might imagine like maybe might be $75,000 a year or something that might be like a, a mid-level um, marketer. What, what would the cost be? And maybe like if you, if you have an hourly range to just uh, make it a let me more. let me let me give you monthly because that's going to be the easiest. Oh, yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I okay. don't know how good your math is, but maybe you can figure it out because I can multiply terrible. by twelve. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then that'll work. So I'd say like the starting rates in terms of what we're hiring, let's say for customer support specialists, like we'll pay maybe about eight hundred dollars a month. So that might break down to be a little bit less than five dollars an hour. Um, Wait, when for- you say we pay, is that like the the merchant themselves or after your? Cut. So, so we have two models. We have like a direct hire model, or we have like managed services where we oh. pay healthcare, social security, HMO, PhilHealth, 13th month, Pagibig, and we take a, a fee on top of that. So for the management fee, but I think it's just easy. You know, the idea here is to help educate people on what's a yeah. fair wage and what makes sense. So you'd be looking at like $800 plus benefits at the low end. So that might work out to be sort of $900, $950, you know, all in. And at the high end, that's like customer support, maybe very junior graphic designers, roles like that. I mean, we have, we have internally, we have people getting paid north of $4,000 a month. So that's like- And these 20, are 40 hour weeks. These are 40 hour weeks. Yeah. And this, this would be like our C-level execs that we're, that we're paying. But I'd say like the, the real range are probably going to be looking at, I don't know, anywhere from a thousand to two and a half thousand dollars. And you're going to start getting some pretty serious talent that will have some serious impact in the business. Like our management consultants, you know, probably, yeah, that would fit, you know, depending on their level of seniority in the business, like probably that mid to higher range. Well, so I might say it might be like five times cheaper 
than what you might get stateside. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it it would range. Yeah. It would range. Like, for example, when I look at like what we charge for a Scala and what like the hourly rate that EY will charge out for the same talent that we have is somewhere between five and $700 an hour. And so, and so we're doing that for literally about a 10th of what they're charging and we'd be the experts in e-commerce because that's all we do. Yeah. I love it. So you've, talked about you basically run on the traction model entrepreneurs operating system and so it sounds like high level goals always in place there might be three three rocks for the year and then you kind of like break it down on a quarterly basis and then on the week and i love that 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 makes it simple and and so everybody's on, on the same page my question is about quality assurance and like if there is that distance you know like you have offshore talent how like how do you ensure that you know, the, the, the things that might be harder to measure are actually, you know, executed as the merchant might hope. Yeah. So from my perspective and, and how we, we operate as a business, we're always looking to bridge that gap. So all the things that we do internally, we effectively, you know, open up the kimono and try and share as much of it as possible. Because for us, it's about how do we create success, not have a transactional experience where it's like, cool, get someone in, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Our our model breaks down when we don't have long-term relationships with the clients that we work with. So we have inside of the Multiply Me model, we have dedicated account managers. So when I was talking about the full service model, we have a team of account managers who are all HR professionals and they check in with the talent every single week. And if they have any issues, they'll table them with the account manager and the account manager effectively serves as an external HR function. So that's just one of the things that we've built in to try and make sure that you know, there's alignment, if there's something that, you know, and also like Filipino culture, not the most forthright and, you know, relatively gentle can be quite subservient as well. So it's sometimes easier just to walk away than face an issue. So building in an experience like that has massively helped. But I would say as well, like we are massive, obviously on our process game. And so Mm. building out those SOPs, the training videos, the documentation, not only does it help make sure that people are delivering tasks on time, but when you look at sort of the the impact of business, there's nothing more expensive than the founder having to step in every single time they scale up, they lose key personnel, they go through this whole process. If they commit to building out, like we do the documentation, all of a sudden, you know, you have this level of fluidity and freedom where the SOPs become the onboarding plan and you can sort of, you know, you turn it into effectively like, you know, someone used the term, someone used the term yesterday, Stephen Pope, actually. I don't know if you know Stephen, my Amazon guy. Mm. Um, he's a great, he's a great dude in the space. And he said, you pretty much franchise the shit. And, and that's it, right? Like if you can document the business on paper and you can hand it over to someone who's coming into it, those gaps are, you know, are much smaller to, to plug. And in terms of quality assurance, you know, we take on that approach of having an account manager to support and, you know, being a second pair of eyes. Yeah. And ultimately, if you are the founder, you're valuing your time at whatever you're spending your time on. So if you're, if you're doing support tickets, frankly, like I am these days, uh, I like it because it, it gets, it keeps me close to the customers, but it, you know, maybe I could do it for, um, five, $10 an hour, you know, offshore, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm hamstringing my own opportunities for, but 
it, it, it's a decision. It's a trade-off, I guess. Well, yeah, you just, you just have to think like how, you know, the whole Pareto principle, 80, 20, mm. you know, there is definitely value in understanding very clearly, like what are the, what are the concerns? What are the opportunities like staying close and keeping your finger on the pulse? It's like Jeff Bezos spent a week, a year, answering tickets on Amazon to try and get a feel for what's actually happening in the business. And I think like having that approach, but like, what is that time that you're investing actually holding you up from, from achieving, you know, is the podcast going to generate more opportunities for you? Is that next relationship going to really drive the growth of the business? Is it a new product that you bring to market? Like, you know, it, it, again, if you're spending a few hours a, a week on it, okay, that's one thing. If that becomes two, three days of your week, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's the best use of a founder's time. Yeah. Great point. So onlinejobs.ph, great gateway drug for the VA tranche of help, I suppose, expertise. You're maybe a step up C-level. What would be a good, like first step in for a brand that's looking to scale their, their brands? Marketing is that opportunity. Like, particular role. And, and in this case, I'm thinking like, all right, would we go organic, you know, like content related video editing, uh, paid ads management, like what, what's a good way to kind of get started and, and prove this model to the merchant? Yeah. Great question. So I would say it would differ from business to business. My strong advice to anyone here and not to ruin the Philippines and their marketing prowess, but I would say like, I'm not hiring a head of marketing out of the Philippines, unless they've had extensive experience in marketing to the US. And I think that it's going to be hard to find those people. So sort of the high level strategy roles around understanding the US market, you know, that hasn't worked for me historically. If it has for you, then, you know, more power to you. And I wish, but it hasn't worked. So roles that I think are really a fit, definitely anything on the financial side. So I don't know, I don't know what they're what they've got in the water there, but CPAs like grow on trees over there. So having people in a finance role definitely super helpful and high level intelligent people. Also, and this is also strange, but I think graphic design and creative is really really strong over there. And obviously, customer support. The Philippines was built. The BPO industry was built on customer support. But I would actually take the question to be more specific to the business. And so. You know, I deal with people all the time inside of Multiply Me where they'll come and they'll say, well, I need a marketing manager. And going back to the whole job description versus outcome, when you start to dig a little deeper and you ask, you know, what are we trying to achieve here? You know, is it to drive more immediate traffic to a website? Is it a long-term play? You can build fantastic SEO teams over there, but, you know, that's a six, 12-month sort of ROI and you're going to need to bring in, you know, uh, a link builder, you're going to need an outreach specialist, you're going to need, you know, a, a strategy person, you're probably going to need someone to handle, you know, the on-site optimization of H1, H, you know, how you actually build that out. So I would say that what's a good first starting point is what's the immediate need and outcome. And if it's, you know, roles like PPC management, super strong, a lot of Google analytics specialist, you know, Google AdWords specialists. Um, I mean, you can find anything. It's a, Population of 120 million people. When we talk about the BPO industry, 95% are college educated or higher. And they grow up, they they learn at college in English. So college is done in English. And a lot of what is watched is American TV. So, 
you're, you're dealing with a highly educated, motivated and extremely low population. So who are, you know, relatively averse to conflict. So you're going to get people who, when you treat them the right way and you build the right relationship, they stick around for a long time. And that was honestly a big appeal for the Philippines for me was that like, I found a culture that really resonated with me and felt that it would be, you know, favorable for all the companies that we could serve. And again, like when you find the right talent to enter the business, like they're not going anywhere, especially if there's, you know, paying increases and better opportunities and more responsibility. Like this is sort of, this is exactly what it's about over there. Yeah. So my takeaways basically are like, set the structure right, provide a, a path, just as you would with any company of kind of like aligning incentives, offering personal empowerment and development, and then just having processes well-documented so that you can extricate yourself, not be in the weeds. And then kind of like, you know, like they say, focus on the business, not in the business. You know, you, you've sold me on this. I'm going to jump back in, I think, uh, <laughs> once I do have this laid out. So what's the best way to find you online? Well, before I tell you that, I got to say, yeah. you just broke that down beautifully. That's exactly it. That's, that's, that is the formula, right? That's how you actually get yourself out of your business and work on it, not in it. So yeah, nice to hear. Nice to hear someone phrase it that way. So the best way, the best way to get me is you can email me at Yoni, Y-O-N-I at multiplymemii.com or Yoni at weareescala.com. Yoni Kosminski on LinkedIn. I'm pretty heavy there. But you can also check out either one of our websites. I think the Escala booking link goes to my calendar. And if you're looking for talent on Multiply Me's website, Kat, who's our director of client engagement, who's way better to talk to than I am, you know, book a time in. She'd be happy to have a chat and give you insights too. Awesome. Thank you so much. And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line, hello at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right, see you next time.